I have some family in town today that I'd like to acknowledge. Uh, my sister-in-law, Matina, and her young son, Aaron. Uh, I take a Baron somewhere around here. Uh, they drove in from Arkansas this morning. And then my mother and father-in-law are here. Dr. Allen and Sister Doris McFarland are here. Drove in from Lynchburg. Uh, pastor, would you come and just say a few words? This, this is my pastor right here. So if you ever wonder what covering I'm under, this is not only my father-in-law, but this is my pastor. This is the man that uh, has discipled me and mentored me. And when I married into the family, not only did I get Darina, I got him. So, Pastor, <laughs> would you just take a moment and bless, bless strong time? <laughs> well, good morning. Good morning. Um, to be here today, to be with Pastor Chris and Dorina and Gary, Alina and Matina and all of the grandkids, uh, have to give you a picture of Psalms 127. Except the Lord builds the house, they labor in vain. Vain means waste. Vain means vanity. Except the Lord builds the house. Except the fact that you allow the Lord to be a part of your house. All of your labor. Mm -hmm. Now, oh. ask a mother who's given birth what labor is all about. God says your labor is in vain to, for me to be here today to listen to Pastor Chris, to see Dorina raising her hands, worshiping. Alina, raising her hands. Matina, raising her hands. Here's where I'm going with this. Parents, make sure the Lord is in your house. Now give your family all of this stuff in the world, but what shall it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his family? I know it says soul. Lose his life. There is no profit. It's all in vain. Pastor Chris, it's good to be with you. <laughs> oh. ask a Baptist preacher to say greetings and he preaches. <laughs> Amen. That's my pastor. And I love you. Love you, mama. <laughs> oh, my God, the church. <laughs> Amen. Turning your Bibles to the book of Ephesians, chapter 6. What a beautiful day to be alive. And even better, to be alive in Christ. Ephesians chapter 6, beginning at verse 10. Reading from the New King James Version, the Bible reads, Finally, my brethren, be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. 
put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this age, against spiritual hosts of wickedness in the heavenly places. If I were to put a tag on this sermon today, it would be entitled, Christian, don't let the devil use you. Christian, don't let the devil use you. Let's ask God for help. Father God, thank you that we get to assemble in your house. And in your house, your word has a central place. For your word tells us that you sent the word and healed your people. Lord, would you do the same today? Would you send forth your word and heal your people? Beginning first and foremost with me. Lord, we hunger and we thirst for righteousness. Lord, would you fill us? And for that to happen, Lord, I need to say the things that you've said. I need to preach the things that are written. I need to exalt Jesus. So, Lord, I thank you that as we lift you up, you will touch hearts. You will bring the conviction that we all need. And, and if there is someone here today who doesn't have a relationship with you, Lord, I pray that today the gospel might penetrate their heart. And they, may, they might accept your son, Jesus Christ, as their personal Lord and Savior. We thank you for this moment. We thank you for this hour. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. The Apostle Paul, while chained to a Roman guard, is trying to figure out how to end the book of Ephesians that he's writing to the churches in the region. Ephesians is believed to be a circular letter, one of Paul's more upbeat letters, but it's also a prison letter. So as he's in jail in Rome, which many believe this is his first Roman imprisonment, which would take place somewhere at the end of the book of Acts when he finally gets to Rome, uh, he begins to write several churches. And Ephesus is one of those churches that he writes. And while being chained to this guard, he's trying to think of a way to end the letter. And as he looks at how this Roman soldier is dressed from head to toe, with a helmet on, with a breastplate on, with his shoes or even some would call cleats on, his belt and his sword, Paul says, ah, oh, thank you, Holy Spirit, for that great illustration because I am going to use each one of these parts of the armor to talk about spiritual warfare. And so as Paul begins to talk about spiritual warfare, he wants to remind the believers who will get this letter from him that we are all in a battle. And when he says we're in a battle, he says in verse 11, or rather verse 12, that we're not wrestling against flesh and blood. We're not fighting with people. But let me pause here and put a pin in this. The man who said that we're not fighting with people 
actually had quite a few fights with people. So on first glance, it can't mean what we may think it means. Because Paul had scufflings with the Jews. Many times when he would go into synagogues, he was a synagogue buster. So when he would travel around and preaching the gospel in various regions, he would stop in the synagogues and proclaim that Jesus was the Christ. Some people responded. Other people hated on him. And they even retaliated against him with acts of violence. Paul had been stoned. He had been beaten. He had been whipped. He had been thrown in jail. So the man who's saying that we don't wrestle against flesh and blood had many bouts with the Jewish people. But not only that, he wrestled with a close friend of his named Barnabas. They had a dispute over ministry. And sometimes that can happen where you're fighting flesh and blood, your brother or your sister. Not only that, he had a dispute with a man named Alexander who was a coppersmith. And Paul said in his last letter, 2 Timothy, he said, uh, y'all watch out for Alexander the coppersmith because he's an evil man who did much harm to me. So Paul understood wrestling and fighting with people in the natural realm. And not only that, he's in jail right now. And he's not in jail for breaking the law. He's in jail for preaching the law of love. He's in jail for talking about Jesus. This is an unjust arrest. Nevertheless, he doesn't let that stop him. Because even as he begins to write the church at Ephesus, a church that he stayed almost three years planting, he writes this church that his mind goes back to remember that there were some people in the town who were trying to do what Paul did, and that's exercise demons. If you have the time, it's in Acts chapter 19. And there were some people who tried to cast out demons the way Paul had cast out demons. And the demons were in this man, and the people came up and said, by the name of the God that Paul preaches, come out. And the demons said, excuse me, uh, we know Jesus, and we know Paul, but uh, who are you? And then the Bible says that that man with those demons in him began to whip and beat down those so-called exorcists. So the spiritual realm manifested in the physical realm with a physical beatdown in Acts chapter 19. But Paul, who was operating under the Spirit of God, was able to do many miracles. People were getting saved and, and people were coming out of the cults. And, and because of that, Paul was messing with the economy when folks started getting saved. And they were laying down their idols to the goddess Artemis. And they were coming to the kingdom of God. And there were people upset about that. And so a riot broke out in Ephesus. And it was so bad that Paul had to leave that place and go into the next city because his disciples feared for his life. So the man who is saying we don't wrestle against flesh and blood did a whole lot of wrestling with flesh and blood. But we got to look deeper and understand what Paul is talking about so we can get this today. Although we're going to have issues with people, and people are going to have issues with us, according to Paul, we need to realize that fighting with people is not the primary fight that we're to be engaged in. 
Oh, somebody should have said amen right there. I'm going to say it one more time because you missed it. We're going to have issues in the flesh and with people. People are going to come against us, and we're going to come against people. Unfortunately, we're falling on our way to glory. We're going to have disagreements. We're going to have issues and conflict. But according to Paul, we do not wrestle against flesh and blood. And I'll put a parenthetical note, primarily. Well, who are we wrestling against primarily? The one he mentions in verse 11, which is the devil, and then the ones he mentions in verse 12, the principalities, the powers, the spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. So the primary, the ultimate fight is not with those whom we can see. The ultimate fight for a Christian is with those entities that we cannot see. You see, when I was growing up, I used to watch wrestling. And there was this one wrestler called the Ultimate Warrior. And he wore all his face paint and had all these muscles. He was the Ultimate Warrior. And when I think about being the Ultimate Christian Warrior, we are people who know what the true battle is. 2 Corinthians chapter 10 says, for though we live in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not fleshly, but they're mighty in God for the pulling down of strongholds, casting down imaginations and every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of Christ. So a Christian ultimate warrior is spending more time fighting demons and devils than he or she spends time fighting men and women. As a matter of fact, when I understand how the spiritual realm works, I'll spend less time fighting with people. Because in my marriage, I realize my wife is not the enemy. And I am not the enemy. But there is an enemy who wants to divide my house and conquer it. But if I spend so much time and energy fighting in the natural realm and not spending enough time fighting in the spiritual realm, the spiritual fallen spirits will defeat my home time and time again. So Paul says, you need to be strong in the Lord and in the power of his might. Put on, take up the armor of God that you may be able to take your stand against the wiles of the enemy. So this word against is found six times in two verses. It's found in verse 11 where he says we ought to be able to stand against the wiles of the devil. The devil, that name means accuser. The book of Revelation says that the devil is the accuser of the brothers and the sisters. He still has access to the throne of God according to the book of Job. And he goes to that throne to either ask the Lord, can he sift us? Can he tempt us? Can he break us? Just like he had to ask for Peter, because Satan can't do anything without God's permission. God is the Lord of hosts, the heavenly hosts, both fallen and, of course, unfallen angels. So Satan, as powerful as he may be, he still has to ask for permission. But not only does he ask for permission in the presence of God, he also accuses in the presence of God. And if you were to read the book of Zechariah, the high priest Joshua, who was dressed in filthy clothes, 
was being accused to the Lord by Satan. But the Bible says the angel of the Lord stood by, and the angel of the Lord said, but this is a burning stick, Joshua, snatched from the flames. In other words, yeah, he's dirty, but he's still saved by my grace. Matter of fact, I want y'all to cleanse Joshua and put a new suit of clothes on him. So when Satan comes to accuse, 1 John chapter 2 says we have an advocate or defense lawyer in heaven who stands up and says, Father, I plead the blood over this candidate that the enemy is bringing forth. Yes, Chris may be guilty on the outside, but Chris has been sanctified on the inside. Yeah, he thought a bad thought. Yeah, he did a bad thing. He said something he shouldn't have said. Shut up, accuser. He is forgiven and he is blessed and he is my son. So the devil is an accuser. He'll accuse, And if he's not accusing you to God, he's accusing you to yourself which is why you have to preach the gospel to yourself, that there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Conviction, yes. Condemnation, no. What sends the devil running? According to Jesus in the wilderness, truth. If you quote truth, if you believe truth, if you speak truth, if you live on truth, the liar cannot stay in the presence of truth. I'm just talking about spiritual warfare today. And this devil, not only does he have the name accuser, he's also called Satan, which means adversary. He's also called the father of lies. He's also called a murderer. A murderer from the beginning, Jesus said. Well, who was the first murderer in the Bible? Cain killed his brother Abel. Now, I'm going to come back to this in a moment if time allows. So if Satan is a murderer from the beginning and Cain killed Abel in the beginning, who or what spirit influenced Cain to kill his brother? Oh, it was a demonic spirit. It was Satan himself. Oh, hang on. Oh, this is going to get good. But not only is he called the devil, Satan, father of lies, murderer, he's called the thief. He's called a dragon. He's called a wolf. He's called a serpent. But we also call him Defeated. We also call him defeated. Amen. We, we got to call him defeated. But then in verse 12, we're not only dealing with him, a fallen angel, but we're dealing with a fallen angel who's so deceptive, who's so good at deception. According to the book of Revelation, he was able to deceive one third of the angels to fall with him. So you know you got to be good at deception. If you can cause angels who are in the presence of the Lord to fall with you, oh, you are good at deception. He deceived Adam and Eve, and he still deceives us. We just got to know who our enemy is. And when he fell, he fell with demons, one-third of the angels who became demons. And Paul says in verse 12 that we are fighting against or wrestling against principalities, powers, rulers of the darkness of this age and against spiritual hosts of wickedness in heavenly places. Now, the mistake we often make in spiritual warfare is to either place too much emphasis on the devil or not enough emphasis on the devil. And depending upon your denominational upbringing, you know exactly what camp you fit into. 
whether you put too much emphasis on the devil, everything's the devil, everything, or nothing is the devil, and you're trying to grit your way through and explain these uh, 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 supernatural phenomenons in the natural realm, and, and you, you, you can't do it. And so we have to have this balance of understanding how spiritual warfare works. Our theology must inform our sociology. Our theology must inform how we live, our sociology. <clears throat> if not, we will be worldly. <laughs> we will be fearful, we will be angry, and yes, we'll be defeated. And so if we're sociologically driven, in other words, if we're natural, and theology and the things of the Spirit do not lead first, then we will be angry folks, worldly folks, defeated folks. I can't begin human relationships in the natural or sociological realm. I can't start there, especially when we start talking about, quote, unquote, race relations. Because if we try to start race relations as Christians in the sociological realm first, oh, we're not going to get anywhere. We're going to be just as confused and divided as the world is. So we have to begin our relationships from a spiritual or theological understanding. So this means our sociology must hold our theology accountable. Hang with me, please, hang with me. Because some people have the theology or the orthodoxy, but when you look at their practice or their sociology, it doesn't look like their theology has any bearing on social issues. And so if we're going to be honest, and we're going to live in the world but not be of the world, the things of the world should hold our theology accountable so that we're not people who just get high on Jesus inside on church, in church. But our theology has to drive us out of the church building into the world to be difference makers, shining light and sprinkling salt and making a difference. So we've got to have both, but for us, theology must drive the sociology and impact the sociology. And we can't be so spiritual that the sociology does not hold the theology accountable. Because you and I know that the gospel is not only John 3.16, it is also Luke 4.18. Society is looking for answers. And our gospel has answers for society, or in other words, it has sociological ramifications. The gospel is social as much as it is spiritual and eternal. Our primary battle, though, as I set this up, as we talk about the theological and the sociological, our primary battle is against demonic spirits. So this is why I must start with theology, and my theology must inform my sociology because my primary battle is not with the white man. My primary battle is not with the black man. It's not with the red man. It's not with the brown man or the woman. It is with spirits. Now stick with me. These spirits are in the atmosphere. We read about it here. They're, they're in heavenly places. They're in the atmosphere. They're invisible. They're immaterial. But at the same time, these spirits can be in people and on people. Uh-huh, uh-huh. You, you weren't expecting this one this morning, were you? But please hold on. These spirits can be in people and on people. 
Look at Ephesians chapter 2, verses 1 and 2. Ephesians 2, same letter, Paul says, and you he made alive. Again, is there anybody alive today? Is there anybody alive? Amen, amen. And you he made alive who were dead in trespasses and sins. Verse 2 says, in which you once walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, the spirit who now works in the sons of disobedience. So the spirit, the prince of the power of the air, leaves that atmosphere and he works in the sons of disobedience. Well, who are the sons of disobedience? They are unbelievers. So if Satan is working in unbelievers, that means unbelievers are demonically possessed. Because if God's spirit is not living in them, what spirit is? Now, Paul just said, this spirit is living in them. Now, before we, you know, get self-righteous, he goes down in that verse to say, and that's what some of y'all were. But it's by grace that you've been saved. So these spirits can be in people. But since I'm talking to majority believers today, go to Ephesians chapter 4. Beginning at verse 25. Because I said these spirits, they're in the atmosphere, but they can also be in people. And they can also be on people. And the people that they can be on can be either unbelievers or believers. Verse 25 says, therefore, putting away lying. Let each one of you speak truth with his neighbor. For we are members of one another. Be angry and do not sin. Do not let the sun go down on your wrath, nor give place to the devil. He's talking to Christians. He's telling us to stop lying. Because lying is not who we are. We are in Christ and Christ is the truth. So Christians ought to tell the truth. And Pastor Jerry said it earlier, even on your taxes. <laughs> because if we're lying, we're not acting like our heavenly father. We're acting like our old daddy, who is the father of lies. But that was this adoption program. We went from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of light. We've been transferred from this place to that place. We've gotten a new nature. And so he says, now, we put away lying. And then he says, don't be angry to the point of sinning. And then he says, don't give place to the devil. What does that mean? Don't give the devil an opportunity. A Christian can give the devil an opportunity. When you give him place or when you give him a toehold, because place or opportunity, it almost has the idea of you're letting him in your house. You're letting him in to sit down at the table. Don't give him a place. Don't give him an opportunity. Because if he comes into the house, he's trying to take over the house. The toehold becomes a stronghold. So Christian, don't be naive. Be spiritual. Be spirit-led. And understand that the devil is just as cunning with your house as he was with Adam and Eve's house. 
And he will do anything he can to get inside your house. And when he comes, he doesn't come in red pajamas and with a pitchfork and pointy ears. He's coming in a subtle way, looking like something that is good. But if you can discern spirits and not commit to it, you will see that it is something bad. And it will try to seep into the home. Because once you give it opportunity, you've now opened yourself up to unclean spirits. Now, for the record, a Christian cannot be possessed by an unclean spirit. Why? Because the Holy Spirit lives in us. And greater is the Spirit of God than any spirit that is in the world. Ephesians 4.30 says that we are sealed with the Holy Spirit until the day of redemption. The Holy Spirit ain't leaving, and a demon can't enter into the vessel where the Holy Spirit lives. But unclean spirits can oppress Christians. They can weigh us down. They can influence us. They can lie to us. We can open ourselves up to things that are destructive. For instance, we see here in Ephesians that the demonic realm is highly organized. In Ephesians 6, he, he, he talks about different areas of service that these demons have. Their army is organized. Man, God's army needs to be organized. I know the heavenly hosts in glory are organized, but God's warriors on earth in the church, we need to be organized. And not only are they organized and militarized, they have wiles and they have schemes. They have plan A, plan B, plan C in order to deceive us, to hurt us, to get us off track. And we need to always ask ourselves, what spirit have I opened myself up to? What spirit have I opened myself up to? Well, if you want to know a couple, here are a couple. Because when Jesus approached the spirits, many times he asked them what their name was. Because not only do they have assignments, they also have names. And their names speak of their purpose and their function. So when he's delivering the man, he says, what is your name? And the man says, my name is Legion, for there are many in us. So Legion speaks to the fact that there was a multiplicity of demons inside of this man. Demons have names as well as assignments. 2 Timothy chapter 1 verse 7 says that there is a spirit called fear. There's a spirit whose assignment, whose name is fear. And Paul said God has not given us a spirit of fear or timidity. So if you are wrestling with fear, you are wrestling with a demon called fear. But if I get into my word, I understand that the righteous are as bold as a lion. If I understand who I am in Christ Jesus, why am I letting a defeated devil pump me? Oh, there's something wrong if I'm up or I'm so afraid. You're afraid of everything. Spiders. You're afraid of the night. You're afraid of flying. You're afraid of people. You're afraid to leave the door open. You're afraid. You're afraid of everything. And that old saying, if you're going to pray, don't worry. If you're going to worry, don't pray. But there's a spirit called fear. Hosea 4, verse 12, said that there are spirits of harlotry. Oh, watch out. King James calls it whoredoms. So if you're acting like a whore, 
there's a chance there's a spirit of whoredom on you. Because in the same book, Ephesians 5, he says, uh, don't even let fornication be named among the people of God. There should be something different, clean and holy about us. But if you're creeping and sleeping and tipping and rolling, you've opened yourself up to an unclean spirit. If pornography has a stronghold on you, you need to be delivered in the name of Jesus. Because that ain't God's spirit. That's the spirit of harlotry, working with your flesh. And then Proverbs 16, 18 says there's a spirit of haughtiness or a prideful spirit. 1 Samuel 16, 14, there's a spirit of distress. Luke 13, 11, there's a spirit of infirmity. Isaiah 61, 3, there is a spirit of heaviness. Acts 16, 16, there is a spirit of divination or witchcraft. You want to know why I don't read horoscopes and all that stuff? That's witchcraft. That's divination. There's nothing innocent about that stuff. You'll open yourself up to the spiritual realm, playing with certain games, watching certain movies. And you wonder, why am I having these bad dreams? Why am I having all these thoughts like this? What did you open yourself up to? 1 Kings 22, 23 says that there is a spirit of lying. There's a lying spirit. Psalm 105, 25 says that there is a spirit of hatred. Romans 8, 15 says there's a spirit of bondage. 1 Corinthians 14, 33, a spirit of confusion. 1 Timothy 4, 1, a spirit of deception. Judges 9, 23, a spirit of ill will or dissension. 1 John 4, 6, a spirit of error. Mark 3, 30, a spirit of uncleanliness. Revelation 21, verse 8, a spirit of sorcery. The Greek word there that I learned from my pastor is the Greek word pharmakia. That is translated into the English as pharmacy. What do you get at a pharmacy? You get drugs at a pharmacy. So many times we open ourselves up to the spiritual realm through abusing drugs and alcohol. <laughs> oh, it's quite, can I get an amen from the lights? Can, can the lights just say something back to me? You know, pastor, it's from the earth, man. It's from the earth. Why can't I just smoke that from the earth? Well, the earth got a lot of poison in it, too. You ain't going around smoking just straight up poison. Numbers 5.14 says there's a spirit of jealousy. Acts 19.15 says that there are spirits of evil. As I bring this message to a close, God wants to use me as his tool, but Satan wants to use me as his fool. This is what happened to Peter. Matthew 16.23. But he turned and said to Peter, Get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. You do know what happened in Matthew 16? The Holy Spirit reveals to Peter that Jesus is the Christ on which the church is going to be built. He's the Son of God, and he's the rock or the foundation of the church. Jesus said, you're blessed, Simon, because flesh and blood didn't give you that revelation my father gave you that revelation. 
And then when Jesus says, you know, I got to go to Jerusalem, they're going to betray me, they're going to kill me. On the third day, I'm going to rise. Peter pulls Jesus aside to rebuke the Lord. Now, if you're going to try to rebuke Jesus, you better at least know what you're talking about. He tells Jesus, no, Lord, you can't do that. And Jesus has to say probably to his closest running buddy in the earth, get behind me, Satan. You have in mind the things of men, not the things of God. What was Jesus saying? Peter momentarily came under the influence of Satan with that idea. Oh, my goodness. He had just said, you're the Christ. Then the next minute, Jesus, the Christ is saying, you're the devil. How does that happen? Because we can be filled, as my brother-in-law Gary says, we can be filled with the Spirit one moment and then spring a leak the next moment. We can go from being in the Spirit to being in the flesh. Yeah, you'll skip up out of church today, prancing and thanking God, but don't let nobody cut you off in traffic. And all that praising is going to turn to fussing and cussing. This is why I know that God wrote the Bible, because it don't lift man up. <laughs> it shows us the real deal of man, what's in them and what's in us. Peter messed up, but it don't just stop with Peter. Look at Luke chapter 9, verse 51. Now it came to pass when the time had come for him to be received up that he steadfastly set his face to go to Jerusalem and sent messengers before his face. And as they went, they entered a village of the Samaritans to prepare for him. But they did not receive him because his face was set for the journey to Jerusalem. And when his disciples, James and John, saw this, they said, Lord, do you want us to command fire to come down from heaven and consume them just as Elijah did? Verse 55. But he turned and rebuked them and said, you do not know what manner of spirit you are of. He's going to go on to say, for the Son of Man did not come to destroy men's lives, but to save them. Can I say this real quickly? You can be walking with Jesus for three and a half years and still come under the influence of unclean spirits. And in this case, James and John came under the influence of deceptive and murderous spirits. Why do you say that? Deceptive because they're taking the Bible out of context for their own personal needs. They're talking about the way Elijah did. You want us to call down fire, Lord? These Samaritans have rejected you because technically we don't like the Samaritans. Uh, you want us to call down fire and destroy them the way Elijah did? Wait a minute. That's not what the book says. When Elijah called down fire, it was to destroy the sacrifice, not to destroy people. But when you're deceived by Satan, you'll twist scripture for your own interests. You want us to kill these folks, God? So not only are they twisting scripture, now they want to murder people. No wonder they are called the sons of thunder. They must have a reputation of having a bad temper. They must be guilty of being angry and sinning in their anger. 
And it bubbled up on this day when the Samaritans said, we don't want Jesus to come here because he's going to Jerusalem. We don't want him here. Lord, let's kill them all. Jesus said, you don't know what spirit you are of. Because I can tell you one thing, that ain't my father's spirit right there. And if it didn't come from my father, look out. There's no other place it could come from except from hell. So hell just influenced the disciples of God with a murderous spirit. Oh, my goodness gracious. And while we're talking about murderous spirits, can we talk about the sadistic school shootings that have been going on? 18 already this year. And I just saw that, that there was a graduation that got shot up. And I'm here to let you know that, that when people are saying that, that the shooter have mental illness or, or insanity, maybe. But we as Christians can't discount the spiritual that a demon may have either jumped on that person or in that person. Why? For the thief has come to kill, steal, and to destroy. But Jesus said, I came to give life. So if you're taking life, and you're not sanctioned by government as a soldier and any of that kind of stuff or as a police officer under righteous situations, but you're just taking life, being sadistic and evil, and we wonder, and people are trying to figure out, what made them do it? Why did that boy go in that church and shoot them nine people? Why did he? It don't make sense because it's a demon. I know that won't get me on late night talk shows. I know I won't be talking to Don Lemon or anybody on Fox. What do you think happened, man? Well, here's what the medical charts say, and it has its place. But um, uh, there are spirits at work in folks. Oh, my goodness. We also need to talk about the senseless killings of Palestinians at the hands of the Israelis. We need to talk about the dreadful killing of unarmed black men. We need to talk about the hellacious killings of babies in their mother's wombs. And we also need to call out Satan while we're doing this. But let me make this relevant for you. You may not be literally killing people. But if you are killing people with your words, if you're gossiping and slandering and accusing, guess who you're working for? You ain't working for God when you do that. I'm not working for God when I do that. I'm working for Satan, the accuser of the brethren. And I'm letting him pimp me and use me to do his work when I kill the reputations and the testimonies of God's people by tearing them down with my tongue. AK-47 called the tongue. And Jesus says we need to speak what edifies and what builds people up. And when we speak the truth, we speak it in love. And we have to be careful because a prayer request can quickly turn into gossip. Why? Because Satan is very subtle and deceptive. Pastor, what, what, what should I do, man? How do I keep Satan from using me? Final scripture, James 4, beginning at verse 7. Therefore, submit to God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. It begins with submitting to God. Because when I step out from submitting to God and I'm doing my own thing, that's exactly what the devil wants. I 
been bought with a price, but I'm living my life like it wasn't bought with a price. I'm not living to be under the will of God. I'm living under the will of the world and of the prince of the power of the air and of say, but no, go and submit to God, which means I must repent. I must come back under. I must say, God, I'm here. Like when the prodigal son came home, he submitted back to his father. And some of us need to come back and submit to God and say, Lord, here I am. And then James go on to say, draw near to God and he will draw near to you. It's about intimacy with God. We can resist the devil after we've drawn near to God. We can resist the devil after we've submitted to God. Because once we've submitted to God, we get to see where we were apart from God. Once we submit to God, he gives us the desire and the power to resist, even to rebuke in his name, the works of darkness. And then you might need to call for the elders of the church to pray over you, to bring healing not only to your body, but to your mind from many of those spirits that were on you. Because believe me, they don't want to let go of you. Uh, Ephesians 5.18 says, don't be drunk with wine. Instead, be filled with the Holy Spirit. What's the big deal about being filled or submitted to the Holy Spirit? Well, the Holy Spirit has many names and many tasks for us. 1 Peter 1, 11, he's called the spirit of Christ. John 14, 17, he's called the spirit of truth. Galatians 5, through 24 tells us about the fruit that he is able to produce in our lives. 2 Timothy 1, 7, after saying God did not give us a spirit of fear, what did he give us? He gave us the spirit of power and of love and of a sound mind. That's what God gives us. Zechariah 12, 10 says that he's the spirit of supplication. Isaiah 57, 15 says he's the spirit of humility. Romans 8, 15 says he's the spirit of adoption. Romans 1, 4 says he's the spirit of holiness. Exodus 28.3 says he's the spirit of wisdom. 2 Corinthians 4.13 says that he is the spirit of faith. Hebrews 10.29 says he's the spirit of grace. And Isaiah 28.5 and 6 says that he is the spirit of justice. So that's why 1 John says, you are of God, little children, and you have overcome them, all these spirits. Why? Because greater is he that is in you than the spirit that is in the world. Now, this message is a setup for next Sunday. Next Sunday, I'm going to talk about evicting the spirit of racism from America. But first, we had to at least get an idea of how the spiritual realm works. He not only works, or they not only work on individuals, but they also work on areas and nations. But again, the spirit of God is greater. Now, as you stand to your feet and as I pray for you, I wish I had time today to extend the invitation for the altar call. But the beautiful thing about God is you don't need to just meet him in church or at an altar in church. You can meet him anywhere at any time. But somebody needs to say, you know what? I got to stop fooling myself. I opened myself up to some things, to some unclean things, some evil things. And I wonder why I'm talking like this and why I'm acting like this. I need to submit to God.
his Holy Spirit, his spirit of love, his spirit of grace. And I want to pray for you today. Let's pray. God, it was not too long ago that I was wrestling with bitterness and unforgiveness. Because people had hurt me, I thought I had a right to hurt them back by holding grudges and not extending grace. But Lord, as I was living in sin that way, I began to be tormented, even as the Gospel of Matthew tells us, when we don't forgive people, the tormentors will come. And I didn't get freed until I confessed my sin and I submitted to you and I made things right with my brothers and my sisters. It was pride. It was fear. It was so many things working that I thank you for your power to set free. For whom you set free is free indeed. Lord, I pray for the person who's being used by the enemy today. They know you and they know better. They can't explain why they've continued to be in despair and depression and disgust. Why there's so much hatred and jealousy and bitterness. Why there's so much immorality. It's time for them to submit to you. And as they do that, would you work in them that they may have the stamina to make their stand against the wiles of Satan. To not be passive but to be aggressive in their spiritual walk and to say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. It ends today. And if that means I got to go home and empty things out of my refrigerator or throw things in the trash or change things on my computer or change relationships, Lord, I'll do it because I'm tired. You didn't save me for this. I've grieved your spirit. I've quenched your spirit. Lord, I want to be filled with your spirit. And if you hear the voice of the Lord today, do not harden your heart. Don't walk out of here thinking you're okay. Admit to God that you're sick and you need his healing touch. Admit to him that you need his help to deliver you from anything that's holding you bound. If it's gluttony, if it's gossip, no matter what it is, the spirit of Jesus is greater. And it's for freedom that he set us free. Let's walk today in freedom. Father, thank you. Now unto him who is able to keep us from falling and to present us faultless before his throne with exceeding joy to the only wise God, our Savior, be glory, majesty, dominion, and power both now and forevermore. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. Can we put these 10 strings together and give Jesus a praise? Amen, amen. He's a good God. Now, in the fellowship hall, I believe we have some refreshments to celebrate with our graduates. So everyone is invited. Please join us in the fellowship hall. If you can't, God bless you. Have a great day in the Lord. Amen.